best day of the rest of your life. Isn't that good news? Amen. What's the future is? Um, brilliant. So, you know, for all the young people, YPs, 12 and 13-year-olds, you're free to go uh, just to the discipleship court class. That'd be brilliant. I'll just, do you mind if I turn this fan off? It's got the jitters. There we go. I, uh, one thing, what was shared, Andrew shared with me and what was seen this morning kind of fits, I believe, and maybe the Lord would just want to speak to hearts this morning because we, there's one thing that we all have in common is we have a past, we have a today, but we have a future, hey? We have a future. There's a future for us. Um, whether you've come here today thinking, well, there's maybe not much future, whether you are a young person or an older person, whatever, whether it's a future here on earth or a future in heaven, in Christ there's an incredible future and a hope. And um, I'm glad that God dealt with my past. He lives with me in my, my present, and he says, I've got your future if you'll walk into it. It's there. I've got it. God has it planned and purposed, it says in Scripture. So it's ahead of us, and sometimes we don't want to face futures, do we? Because we think, well, I'd rather just sit in the moment. I'd rather enjoy the moment, not plan for the future. But, you know, as much as we enjoy the moment of today, there is a future that, you know, while God may have a future for us, a preferred future, we have to kind of agree and walk with Him into that future. Um, and it's important. I want to talk to you this morning about investment and investment in your future. I have a couple things I want to say about your, about your future. And, and God says, depending on what you invest or what you sow today will determine what your future holds in it. Because as, we've, as I've been sharing, what you put first will determine what comes next in life. And, um, and if you don't like what's coming next, change what? You put first. Um, you've heard me say that several times in the last couple of months. So I want to talk about uh, the things that I believe, two important things that God speaks about, that how we need to invest uh, today so that we can have a great future, a future in here, not just for us personally, but for God's kingdom to expand, for His name to be glorified and honoured, for Him to be lifted up. And, uh, and while that happens, it's amazing how life can go so much better when we focus on the right things. Um, so, you know, uh, tw- uh, when I was 20 years of age, if I, 20 years of age, I, I had uh, a wonderful uh, experience, and I must say it was more of, um, it was more of um, a providence instead of um, planned, planning my future so much. And when I say providence, it's, Providence is like one of those times in life when you, you kind of make a decision, but you don't even really pray about it. You just kind of think, oh, well, that seems like a good decision. And it's not a bad decision, but it's just not quite sure which one to take. And you walk in it, and you do it, and it just turns out to be a wonderful thing for your future. I had one of those experiences. When I was 20, I bought a house. It cost me $36,000. How would you like to buy a house for $36,000 today? You might say, was it much of a house? Well, it was house to me. I was single. All I needed was a bedroom, a kitchen, and a, you know, a bathroom, a toilet. I was, I was, it was a house on stilts, let's just put it. It was a box. But, you know, I, 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 I made it a home, and I, and I moved into that house. Um, the wonderful thing about that house is 13 years later, uh, I didn't foresee this coming, but 13 years later, I sold it, made a profit, and I'll tell you what the profit was. It was I sold it for $86,000. That's kind of getting close to nearly 
three times of what I bought it for. Over 13 years, that's probably, you know, that's okay, isn't it? Not too bad. But the wonderful thing about that, $86,000, I invested it in another house and because at the time, I did get married eventually uh, and had kids in that order. Uh, thank you very much, Mitch. I, had, uh, I married and then had children. And we were growing out of this little box. It was getting uh, too small. And so we bought another house and uh, we sold that house, and it was the, a wonderful deposit for the house that we're in today. I'm still in the second. I've only ever lived in, bought two houses in my life, and that's it, you know. Um, so uh, it was a wonderful investment. In hindsight, I look back now and thought, how did I make such a good decision? Because the truth is, is I, had, I, I wasn't even, didn't even have any uh, women in my life besides my mother. I wasn't planning on marriage. I wasn't even kind of thinking about it too much but it was a great investment at the age of 20 because it set me up then you know because so many years later I've reaped the benefit of investing and the truth is my parents actually prompted me to buy this house they were the one oh, you look and you know and, and you know my initial investment I saved up six thousand dollars for my deposit wouldn't it be nice if all you needed was six thousand dollars for a deposit these days for a house but I saved up my six Turned it into 86. And, you know, the truth is I'm getting to the other end of the uh, other house now and, and I'm about to uh, reap the benefits of, you know, seeing that house kind of paid off and moving forward. Isn't it amazing how you just invest a little bit but you, you don't realise at the time but it's amazing what you put in is what you get out. It's amazing what you put first. You'll find it, it will bless you or curse you. That's the truth of it. It's amazing just a little bit of something can be a wonderful increase and blessing in the future. I want to talk to you this morning about a couple things like that in life. And the first thing I want to talk to you, the investment of prayer and the investment of giving, okay? The first thing I want to say is in Jeremiah 29, let's look at a passage of scripture. It says this, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future. And I what? Hope. There we go. God wants to give you a future. And it's exciting. And then you will call upon me, God says, and you'll go and pray to me and I'll listen to you. Isn't that wonderful to know that our God listens? He does listen, folks. And you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. I believe when we pray that it's, um, and communicate with God that our life and our prayer goes ahead of us in a sense to set up our future. I believe when we can converse with God and talk and communicate and worship and ask of Him, that actually in a, we are investing not just in the now, but in the future. That's what prayer is like. It's a powerful thing for our future. Um, it continues, it's ongoing. It makes a way into our future like no other practice, no other endeavor or work that you could do. Prayer. Bill Hybel says this, he's an American um, pastor in America, Bill Hybels, and he says, too busy to pray? You know what? You're too busy not to pray then. You're too busy not to pray. And life, for all of us, doesn't slow down. It seems to just get faster and faster sometimes. And, we, and doing good things, not bad things, we're often doing a lot of good things. And we're you know, sometimes busy from morning till night. Morning to night. And I want to be honest with you, sometimes we wonder why we're stressed, angry, and just worried and anxious about life. Is because maybe we just need to pause, stop, put the brakes on for a moment, and just come to the, 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 uh, uh, the person who just wants to revive your soul. David said it, and we sang it this morning, Lord bless my soul. 
Oh my God, I need your blessing. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Or bless the soul, oh my Lord, whatever. But anyway, God said it. And you know, the reality is, is that we need to see that sometimes of the busyness of life, we just need to stop and give some time to some important practice. As I said, no other investment in your life is as powerful, I don't believe today. Is this communication, relationship, prayer, worship with our Heavenly Father. It invests in your future. Um, before Jesus uh, p- chose the 12 disciples, it says he went to a, a, a fairly isolated place and he prayed all night. How much of the time he slept in prayer or, and prayed or slept, I don't know, but it just said that he then came down and he chose the 12 disciples. Before a big event in his life, he prayed. He spent time in prayer to his heavenly Father. Even the Son of God, who was totally God, totally man, had committed and prayed and talked with his Father. How much more shouldn't we? You know, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the second chapter of the book of Acts in the New Testament part of the Bible, it just talks about there was 120 who committed themselves to go into this kind of second story room in, in Jerusalem and just wait and pray. And you know, as they prayed and they gathered and they stood there in unity, you know what? God poured out the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit had flowed and, and, and it says just about three about 3,000 people came to Lord Jesus Christ that day as Peter spoke and you know what? The church, the early church was birthed. God's church, God's body was birthed, and it all happened as 120 people decided just to wait and just to pray, just to talk to God, just to spend some time in communion with Him. I want to tell you, prayer is powerful and invests in the future. I'm telling you what, we wouldn't possibly be here if maybe 120 people didn't get in this double-story house, an upper room, so to speak, and started to talk to God and pray. We mightn't be here today because the church mightn't have been birthed. Truth is, I think God would have done it some way, but anyway, He chose people, didn't He? And as we communicate, you know, Peter, he's in prison for his persecuted for his faith. He's been outspoken. He's said something about Jesus' death and resurrection, and they didn't like it, so they put him in prison. He's chained in a, in a prison, and the, it, says in, it says in Acts 12.5 that the church were in constant prayer for Peter. Well, that night, as the church is in constant prayer, they're praying. They're having an all-night prayer meeting. Um, an angel came in, somehow turned up in the prison, Slapped Peter across the face. That's my version. Got him awake anyway. Wake up, Peter. Chains fell off. He stood up. The door automatically opened. There was no little automatic thing above the door. It wasn't McDonald's, folks. You walk in the door. It was the angel opened the door. Somehow, autumn, it was chained, it was locked. That inner door, they went to the outer door of the prison and it opened automatically. I mean, there's guards and prisoners everywhere asleep. No one heard them. They went to the outer gate of the whole um, con, you know, confinement and it opened by itself. Peter walked down the street and he went to the church that was praying. Interesting enough, they didn't open that door for him, if you read the passage. But anyway, they did eventually. But it isn't amazing... What was happening? The church was praying. Peter's in jail, possibly going to face execution the next day, and yet God intervenes. I want to tell you, prayer is powerful, folks. And the more that you find yourself in that realm of just talking to God about life and worship and spending, I tell you what, the more you'll find that life goes so much better and the investment assures your future. It doesn't mean you won't have the problem or the struggle or the thing or temptation in the future it just means you'll be able to face it in so much better life better mind powerful why pray because prayer is always asking before it is receiving it's always asking we know god knows our every need don't we it says that in matthew 6 8 god knows your needs it says but to ask is to show desire 
And to think that God operates in the realm of just giving with no heartfelt request on our part is delusional. Oh, God knows my needs. He'll be right. Don't need to ask him. Folks, he knows your need, but he looks for a heart that responds to him. And prayer is a source of showing God of the passion and desire we have. Instead of taking your struggles to your next door neighbor or to everybody else, and not that there's not a place of sharing your burden so they can be shared, why don't we take it to a heavenly father? Have a passion for that. We have a passion for other things. We have a passion for sport in Australia. We have a passion uh, for a lot of other things in your life, whatever it may be. But why do we have a passion just to connect and say, God, here it is today, I need you. So why pray? Because it's always asking before we receive. Why pray? Because prayer makes, makes us value the answer. No one cherishes stuff given to them when it's just handed to them on a plate. We never, we place less value on that which is given. But something that takes time and commitment through prayer to receive is cherished and valued. And prayer allows us the avenue, the medium, the conduit for us to see and value that when we receive the answers we're seeking or God's hand and God's intervention in that situation. You'll pray for that which you value. I value my family. There's never a week that goes past where I still don't pray for my marriage and my children and their marriages and their futures. There's not a week goes past because why I cherish that. Folks, when are you going to get the message? What you cherish, you need to just, often it happens what you pray for, you cherish. It's a sign, isn't it? Prayer. Why pray? Because it connects us with the source of life. God, our Heavenly Father, He enters our being through the conduit of prayer and worship. His nature of love and joy and peace and kindness, self-control and every other fruit of the Spirit, there's nine of them, becomes our nature through prayer. John 15, 5 says that. Who doesn't want more peace, more self-control? I mean, we all do. Where do you find it? You don't find it in a whole bunch of places. You don't find it, you know, in... in I don't know. You give me what you do. We don't. Sometimes people want to go looking. You don't find it at the poker machines. You never get peace. You may win a million dollars, and ultimately it doesn't provide peace. There's a lady in America. What did she win? Seven hundred eighty-seven million. Mind you, she only gets four hundred and fifty of that because the rest is taxed. But the reality is, four hundred fifty million. Yeah, that'd be okay. Is it going to bring peace? Well, it might bring peace of peace of you know not having to worry about work anymore. But it doesn't necessarily touch the inside of us, does it? ultimately why pray prayer changes us from the inside out we we all know the material world and i've just mentioned that is temporary but what when we pray it builds the inside it builds the inside of our world and we give more what are we going to give more attention to the material world or the spiritual soulish world that really needs uh, what god's got why pray because prayer praying is saying no to selfishness Prayer takes time and effort, and we can steer away from such requirements on our time. You have to invest time into something to get a return. Luke chapter 18 verse 1 says that. See, we steer away from those things. Sometimes we get so busy, 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 we think that busy, busy, busy is going to bring about a good future. And to some extent it will, but the reality is what about your soul? I've seen some incredibly profitable people in life, but they're so wrecked in here with guilt and shame and struggle and unforgiveness and everything, and they've never attended to their soul. God said you are body, mind, soul, and spirit. Isn't that true? And you've got to attend to what's in here in our lives. Prayer is, does that and allows us the time. 
The moral of the story is if I neglect the investment of time in prayer, I neglect my future. And you don't always see the result of your prayer straight away. You don't always think, because that's sometimes why we don't pray, because we don't see the immediate results. We don't see the answer straight away. But I want to say to you this morning, as you pray and do not give up and do not grow weary in, in doing it, you'll find there will become a reaping and a harvest in time as you believe uh, for what you're praying for. Um, if I, you know, when I bought my house at the age of 20, I didn't see any immediate returns. But the age of uh, 13 years later when I sold it, I thought this was a good investment. Well done, James. Well, it had probably not that much to do with me, to be honest, and uh, just a providence, a decision I made at the time and the spur of the moment. So we've, I've discovered that if I build a kingdom, uh, a physical kingdom for myself and neglect the spiritual kingdom in my inner person, I have nothing even though I think I may have it all. So, God asks us to do the unselfish thing, and He says, come on, talk to me about life. Can I, uh, can I just give you, uh, can, I, can I just help you, uh, help us one moment, just for a moment, to talk about something that's really relevant in our community, in our nation right now. What would be one of the things that is on the agenda that you think is really important for us to pray about right now in our nation? Wow, didn't take long. <laughs> Same-sex marriage. Can, can I just spend three minutes just giving you some things, thoughts about what we, why we really need to be praying right now, church? Why we really need to bombard the gates of hell and say, man, we've got to pray now. Because never in my lifetime have I seen such an attack on not just marriage equality, but on the Christian body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying there's people out there who are just nasty, who just want to destroy Christians. No, but, but the enemy knows where this whole same-sex marriage thing is going to take it. It's going to go. And he knows what he wants to destroy. And he wants to destroy the very quality and content of Genesis chapter 1. Adam and Eve. He wants, you know, if, uh, he wants to destroy the, the, because the devil doesn't like the ability for Adam and Eve to reproduce and create and so if he can get, and be, well, we know two men cannot create a child. We know two women can't do that. And if he can get people thinking, well, that's what makes up a family, he'll destroy the very thing that God created so beautiful, and he'll mess it up. And he wants to continue to do that. The truth is, it's been messed up for centuries. It's being messed up for centuries. But right now, we face not just, you know, accepting homosexuality, but now it's an attack on the very core value of our, what our nation was built upon, one man, one woman can marry. The reality is, you can legislate same-sex marriage. You can make it a law, but it never changes the principle of God's law. Because God's law says, the, the truth is, He says it's one man, one woman. And if we, and, and so you can't legislate morality. You can't legislate the hard attitude. And can I be honest with you? It's probably going to get up, if not this time, sometime in the future. You know why? It's probably that we'll have a law in the future. Am I being a, a negative, unfaithless person? No, because what people keep on pushing for, they'll reap what they sow. And there's a whole bunch of people. They're not a big bunch, but they're a very loud bunch who continue to sow, I want same-sex marriage. I want to be acknowledged. And when that happens, you know what? 
they'll eventually reap what they're sowing. Unfortunately, the rest of the nation will also reap some problems from that as well. Let me outline some things to you. Did you know that the polit- there's a lot of politicians are asking Christians to say yes next month to same-sex marriage? You know, there's even some Christians out there in our nation, not a lot, but some, who are saying, you've got to vote yes because we just need to love everybody. You know what, folks? My love for homosexuals is not determined by a vote. I st- God loves them. Come on. We need to understand, if there's, some, there's a need for us to pray, it's right now. There's a need for us to rise up. Um, the politicians are saying to the Christians, I just spent this week, I just um, spent some time with our national leader, not me personally, but with a group of us spent some time with him. And he said that majority of churches across our nation, leadership of different churches, Anglican, uh, Catholics, whatever, Presbyterian, whatever, are all generally united in saying No. And the reason they're saying no to the government is because the government is saying to the Christians, just let us get the vote in, yes, just all vote yes. And the Christian leaders are saying, but no, 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 no. If we say yes, there's no protection for us at the moment. There's no protection on the pastors who will be asked to marry, you know, um, same-sex marriage. Because around the world we see, unfortunately, some pastors have been fined and dragged before discrimination courts because they've simply talked about... Uh, the biblical marriage view. So, there's, uh, so the pastors are saying, let's put in some, if you're going to bring this in, let's at least put in some protection laws for us, for pastors who will have to be asked sometimes to maybe, when, so that we can say no and not be discriminated against. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Archbishop of Tasmania, Julian Portis, in 2015, was teaching on Christian views of marriage. Do you know he was dragged? You go and look at it. He was dragged before the anti-discrimination courts. And for six months, he went through hell because they wanted to, in the end, um, they thankfully, he, he, was, he got through it and came out the other side okay. But what a terrible time. All because he just lifted his voice and just talked about um, marriage views. Now, little city of Gladstone. I've talked, I talk, if I'm talking like this to you right now, do you know what some people say? It's hate speech. I'm hating people. It's not hate speech, it's truth speech. It's true. So do you think we need to pray? We need to pray. Do you know what, what, what else could possibly, if they bring in this law, not be safe? Is our buildings. Because at the moment, people could ask us, to, at the moment, to use our church for a civil um, wedding ceremony for a, a gay couple. And I, I'd have, by law, I can't say no. We need some protection. Isn't that true? So that's what our leaders are saying to the government. You want to bring in this law, but you're offering no guarantee that we won't be you know cop it afterwards you know what else will happen people who run small businesses possibly like wedding cakes uh, decorators and photographers and florists and those type of people possibly will face some real struggles when they politely say no thank you it's okay I don't want to do your wedding and they'll say you know you're discriminating and they'll be called a bigot or a racist and we'll find that all types of people may find themselves fined or in front of courts because of that now you say you're blowing it up a little bit folks I know where the enemy wants to go he wants to destroy the glory of God he wants to destroy his truth do you think we need to pray we need to pray because right now, like never before, I seeing an attack on the realities of the Christian faith and the truth. We don't need to take it personal. God's big. He's not shaking in his boots, folks. He, he, he had a Solomon and Gomorrah moment. He knows about 
debauchery and homosexuality and all those type of things. He's seen it. Nothing new under the sun. But the reality is, in our generation, what are we going to do? How about we do this? How about, you know, we stand up and say, um, we want to be a people that will pray. Because it's no good getting upset when the horse is bolted in a month or two or three months' time. Or maybe three years or four years or ten years when eventually, possibly, they'll push through the law of same-sex marriage equality or same-sex marriage. It's no use getting upset then if we've never done anything now. And you may say, well, why pray if it's going to eventually come in anyway? Well, folks, when we pray, God does something in the hearts of lives. And don't you think even if the law could come in, he could do something still incredible through that? One of the things I think is going to happen is because historically, we see when the church is persecuted, Christians get closer to God. So I think it's going to slam, it's going to come back in the devil's face one day. Because I think what Australia needs is a revival of the hearts of people. And the truth is, we're not that passionate sometimes about our God, but I think persecution, mm, that'll do it. I'm not trying to be negative, I just think it's a reality. It's a reality. So do we need to pray? Yeah, we need to pray. You know what? When we speak with people and talk with people who don't agree with us, and I've seen your Facebook posts and I've seen your chatter, uh, let's not get overcome evil with good. So don't allow your voice to be angry, just allow your voice to be truthful. Let your voice, don't raise your voice in anger, raise it in truth. Don't get into arguments if you're never going to win it. Don't overcome evil with good. Let's speak truth and life and kindness to people. I sat in a taxi this week um, because I had to quickly go to Brisbane and come back and for state meetings with pastors down there and that's where I, we spoke with Wayne Elkhorn and I spoke I said what do you think of the same-sex marriage now this was this this guy every second word was a four-letter word and it was interesting conversation we had it was he was crude rude and disgusting but you know what he basically said as Australian don't agree with it but I'm going to vote yes because they can do what they like I don't care well I think that's the wrong attitude and you know I, and I said he said what do you think I said I'm, I'm against it I'm going to vote no he says oh okay and so we had a conversation, but you know why? Because it's, it, you know, and it degrades the very, if only that precious taxi driver could see, it degrades and destroys the very moral values of what people's lives and families are built on. And when you can't change God's principles without causing pain to people. Isn't that true? So anyway, so we need to, I didn't speak evil to this guy. I just spoke life to him. just spoke love to him. And, you know, he came around. We had a good conversation. So we need to overcome evil with good, but we need to pray. I want to just challenge us as a church. Can I put it out there? Every Tuesday night for the next four weeks, we're going to fast and pray. We're going to come together. This Tuesday night starting, seven to eight, just for one hour. We'll have time to worship, but we'll have a time. We're just going to cry out to God. And maybe you need to come and pray, just not for this situation in the nation of Australia, not for just same-sex marriage, but maybe you need to come and pray for your family. Maybe you need to cry out to God for circumstances you're facing. Maybe we'll have time for that. Maybe there's something that you really need to uplift to him. And in the body of Christ, corporately, together, those who pray together, stay together. There's power in it, in agreement. Amen? So I challenge you, come along next four Tuesdays. And uh, we'll see where it goes. One hour, one hour in 24. Come on. That's not too hard, is it? This Tuesday, 7 till 8. What do you think? Good idea? Whoa. That sounds like we're going to have all you guys here. Fantastic. <laughs> no, I just, I just think it's time, folks.
I just think it's time that we continue to cry out to God. I said we're going to talk about two things of investment. So prayer is an investment in our future. We're going to pray for our nation for the investment in the future. And we're going to ask God, God, ultimately, I'd love it to see that we never get the, the quality, the, uh, the uh, quali- marriage equality in. It never happens. But, you know, you and I, in reality, you know, when people continue to push for sinfulness, God will give them what they want, <laughs> unfortunately. Here's the second thing. I want to talk about that I think is powerful as a church. Because I think as a church, we've got to prepare for the future. And that's what we want to do. Malachi 3.10 says this. You know this verse. You know this. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. And try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for such blessing, pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Can you see the connection here? He says, you know what? As you come and you uh, bring a tithe or you bring your offerings into me, he says, you know what? Um, The future is assured. I will continue to be your provider. The windows of heaven will actually open up. I'll pour out blessing. Isn't it amazing? Just through the simple act of giving, God provides for us. Isn't that wonderful? And we don't give to get, but the wonderful thing about it is I've discovered you give so you receive more so that you can even give out more. What a wonderful way to live life. Continually having a passion to help give and support others and see God's kingdom expand. And, it's, and it happens through giving. We can all give something away. You see a person in the, in the shopping aisle and you're walking towards them. They don't have a smile. Give, you, give them yours. They've lost theirs, obviously. It's, see, giving, you're not investing just for today. If I gave my hundred bucks today in the offering, it's not just for today. But you know what, tomorrow, next week, watch that. You know, I gave six grand, becomes 86 grand, becomes a, and I'll tell you what I bought my second house for, 156 grand. That's a good investment, isn't it? And all of you say, well, if I could buy a house today for 156 grand, it'd be really good. See, when we pray today, uh, yeah, when we pray, but when we invest today, it's amazing how it multiplies and God provides for us to even give more. It's amazing. It's his principle of life. Let me read a poem to you. A woman was waiting in an airport one night. Some of you have heard this story, so just, just listen again. But it's a poem form. A woman was waiting in an airport one night with several hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book but happened to see that a man beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She read, munched cookies and watched the clock as the cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more angry as the minutes ticked by, thinking it wasn't so nice. If I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he would do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took her last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, Oh brother, this guy has some nerve and he is so rude. He hasn't shown one bit of gratitude. She had never known herself to be so galled 
and sighed when her flight was finally called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the plane, refusing to look back at the man she disdained. She boarded the flight and sank into her seat and then sought out her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her bag, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned with despair, then the others were his and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief, she was the rude one, the miser, the thief. And he was the one who should have been quite rude, and yet he was so gracious in sharing his food. Which person do you resemble this morning? The lady who became, uh, sorry, the lady who because she thought she was being ripped off, she was so angry. Or the man who knew he was being ripped off and shared willingly with such grace. I want to be, we all want to be the man who's gracious. Of course we do. But how would you go if someone started to eat your cookies? How do you go when someone makes a request for finance? I know we can't give to everything. I'm not expecting you to. But how do you go? Do you go, yeah, joking, mate. I've got to look after number one here. How do you go? How do you go when people talk about money? I just think it's liberating when you don't allow it be your God. That you don't hassle about it. But hey, it's cool. Man seeks to get, God seeks to give. And unfortunately, we live in a world that continually wants to obtain and increase. And, and in God's kingdom, the way to have our needs met often it's unusual it's not orthodox it's not worldly but it's godly is that we find that we've got to give if we want to receive jesus says freely you've received freely you should give it's a principle and i'm talking to the converted this morning i know but today i challenge you again because finance is there's, there's a money is powerful it can invest into the future and actually build god's kingdom that's powerful that's how powerful it is. Everyone is able to give something I've discovered, even the simplest thing sometimes in life. God has a heart to give, and, and let me show you some of the attitudes, or one attitude that God has in giving. Do you know God is a sacrificial giving that God enjoys the most? Mm, you may say, oh, that's a bit of a, what kind of God do we serve if he likes us to sacrifice things? Well, folks, from the Old Testament to the New, he's continually pressed us to sacrifice because he knows sacrifice produces life. It doesn't produce death. It produces amazing things. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself, or God allowed his son to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. The result of that one act is beyond description. You sit here today because of a man who sacrificed his life Praise God, he rose from the dead. That's a great hope to, in future. But he sacrificed his life so that we could sit here today and enjoy fellowship and enjoy him. The greatest achievement always comes out of the greatest sacrifice. And I believe two of the greatest sacrifices you could make in life is to continue to pray and continue to give. Continue. There was an old man who got up early one morning, showered, dressed in some of his best clothes, like he always did. Once a week he'd do this. He went down to his local florist. He bought the biggest, beautiful bunch of flowers he could. 
He made the 7.30 bus just down the road from the florist, jumped on the bus. There was no seats but one beside um, a young lady. She was about 25. He sat beside her. And the conversation started up. She um, wanted to talk to him. He talked to her. And in the process of the conversation, he found out that this young lady loved flowers because he had the biggest bunch of flowers he could find. And she, with, you know, she just commented, beautiful flowers. I love flowers. I always buy flowers. And uh, they had a conversation. He came to his stop. He was about to hop off the bus and he said to her, Can I, um, I see you love flowers. Take these. And with that, he thrust them into her hand and gave them to the girl and hopped off the bus before she could say no. She was dumbfounded. Wow. You know, what? How did I get this today? The bus had paused long enough to let people on the bus. And she watched the old man walk into the little cemetery. And then over to a graveside and stand there, obviously. And as the man left, he said to the young woman, my wife would love you to have these, and so would I. I'll tell her that you've got them. And obviously, it was his wife that had died. And I just think, such simple sacrifice, such simple sacrifice, such simple desire just to bless someone else. But you know what? It just takes that, doesn't it? Just a simple unselfishness sometimes in life to see beyond our lives and see the need of others. I think within the heart of us all, there's a passion to be the same type of people as that old man to to give. And you know what? It's a sacrifice, isn't it, sometimes? And there's always something else we could do with our money. Have you noticed that? There's always something else I could do. There's always a thing I want to buy. I'm talking about myself. There's always the stuff I want to do. There's the renovation that has to be done yet. Or there's the things I'd like to buy. Or, you know, there's always something. But, you know, when we give it to God, we trigger the beginning of a miracle from God, especially when it's a sacrifice. We sacrifice the... Op- and, you know, when we sacrifice and when we don't sacrifice, when we don't sacrifice, we sacrifice the opportunity for God to work in a wonderful way in provision for our lives. That's the truth. We sacrifice the opportunity for God to be our provider in life. And I want to encourage us. um, uh, God doesn't particularly want our money. You know why? Because he really wants your heart. But he does know that when you sacrifice, either in prayer or finance or whatever it may be, time, that you know what? He sees your heart there. He sees your heart. And God is not someone who takes it and just says, oh, thank you, that's nice. No, God... Counsel is very precious and very, uh, very important. So, um, you know, we have an opportunity within the life of our church to actually to give an offering. We've done it for the last 15 years. It's called First Fruits. And so we have a, a wonderful opportunity in the next, this next month coming that we're going to actually take up our First Fruits on the 10th of September. And we're going to give a First Fruits offering. You may say, what is a First Fruits offering? Well, first fruits is an opportunity to give. Um, for some of us to give in first fruits, there's a sacrifice involved. For some of us, there's not. That's fine. Um, but it's an opportunity to give into the work in the kingdom of God. First fruits is the physical act of giving that that represents our heart's desire to give God our first and our best. Okay? Our first and best. Started in Exodus 23. God gave the following commandment. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruit of your crop you sow in the field. So what God was saying was to the Jewish people, uh, he said, you know what? When the first fruit comes on the vine or on the tree, give that. Bring it into the temple. 
And, um, and you know what? As you give that, I'll provide for you for the rest of the harvest. I'll make sure that you're looked after. That's what Malachi is saying. Wouldn't I not pour out the windows, of, you know, from the, open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing? God says, come on, give your first fruits. Why is it relevant today? Because although we don't bring a farmer's harvest anymore, because we don't live on farms, generally, some of us do, the principle of first fruits still holds true today. When we give our best to God, He does bless our life. Romans chapter 11, 16 says that. He talks about first fruit and blessing. When you give the first little bit, He blesses the rest. I love that principle about God. Why do we do it? Well, the principle of first fruits is giving God our best and our first. And it recognizes God as our priority in life. He promises to be our provider, as I've said. Um, how is it different to the tithe? As a question. Tithing practices the principle of returning to God what is His. <laughs> first fruits practices the principle of giving God the first and best of what He's given us, our harvest. So where does the money, where would the money go in 2017? Uh, we always let you know about this. The Old Testament first fruit, do you know, was given to the priest. In Numbers, it talks about the Numbers 18. It was given to the priest. You know why it was given to the priest in, in the Old Testament? Uh, because they didn't, couldn't work outside the tabernacle. They needed to work in. They were given to serve the Lord in the tabernacle. So the people would bring their first fruits and provide for the priest. We don't say that today. Um, today, I particularly want you to know, it, uh, as pastors, we get a wage, so we don't need the first fruit, okay? Now, I know some people don't see it that way. That's okay. But I want you to know, uh, we receive a salary. But to honor the principle of first fruit, uh, we've this, we want to build God's house. So, his, his truth. So, this year, as a first fruits offering, if you give a part of this first fruits offering, um, 90% of it is going to go towards these things. Actual fact, uh, we're just aiming, here's a, here's a thought, here's just a goal for us, $60,000 for the following project to be completed. Um, you know that we're trying to expand this building, make God's kingdom prepare for the future. Uh, so we want to, we've got to provide more car parks in our church. So the car park up the back, two car parks, the one that's presently up the back, um, we're getting it to the point where we'll be able to it's taken money to get it to that point. It's going to continue to take money to rebitumen and, and to get it solid and strong. Um, so that's part of it. Uh, so we can get about total, I think, about 60 par car parks and uh, have council be uh, cover council regulations for our building size. Connecting the road between the two car parks. Maybe you've, some of you have seen that. Go for a walk today if you've never been past the front door and never walked up there. I asked someone the other day and I said, oh, car park's being renewed and they said what i said yeah we're putting haven't you seen the earthworks what earthworks i said where do you go to church oh here i said so anyway i just go for a walk so we're trying to put a connecting road from the back side car park to the back car park so there can be a flow of traffic um driveway to the shed uh for decades now just trying to get cars up to there and get things out like right on mowers it's just been a little bit more difficult than it needs to be so we're providing a, a driveway and loading area for the shed lighting for the back car park so that we can have people at nighttime walking through and not falling over and uh, also it can double up for functions like basketball for the youth and that so here's the thought if 60 people gave a thousand dollars we'd have it covered mm, that's up to you um, but there's a the thought what do you reckon i reckon it's a good idea so you could give a first fruits of that as normal, we always try and give a tithe of our first fruits into something else. Here we go. 
we'd like to uh, give 10% of whatever comes in. These are, the total figures are just possibilities. It's always going to be 10% of what we give in. But Hope Link, run through the Church of Christ, um, here in our local community, continues to reach out, helping people in poverty, sickness, suffering, distress, misfortune, or disability, and uh, helping people change their lives for better, their future, determining a better future for them. At the moment, they have 20 people on their books for debt collection, uh, the Debt Recovery Centre. 20 people, half of them have actually gone bankrupt, not because they didn't have money, they were um, asset rich, cash poor. Do you know what I mean? They had the house and the ski boat and the double garage. And, you know, they had all, but they lost their job when the downturn came a couple of years ago. And now uh, they've, there's something's got to be turned around and they don't know how to continue to maintain their lifestyle. So they've had to sell stuff and it's not worth anything. Who knows a house that was $700,000 is worth only probably four hundred and fifty-five hundred right now. So... They're helping 20 couples at the moment. Half of them filed for bankruptcy because of the downturn. Now, was it their own mistake? Yeah, but you know what? Jesus always loved and helped people through their own mistakes. So we're saying we could give 50% of our 10% to Hopelink and help them out. The other thing, lifestyle. It's another church. Isn't that wonderful that one church could help another? <laughs> I think it's a great idea. We've done it in the past. We'll continue to do it in the future. But lifestyle is a part of Australian Christian churches. Uh, church of Christ isn't. That doesn't. We still want to help them. But lifestyle have planted a church in Calliope. Um, do we want you to go there? No, we'd love you to stay here. Um, because <laughs> I got an ego. I'm a pastor. You know, if I don't get so many people, you know, what what am I going to feel like? You know. No. <laughs> I've had to overcome that one a long time ago. <laughs> But we thought, we thought that, that, and they've got some projects. They want to be part of the Calliope Christmas Carol. They run the Calliope Christmas Carols now, and it takes money to do that. Um, they're also going to be part of the Calliope Country Carnival. If you didn't know Calliope had a little show, they do. They're going to be a part of that, outreaching, giving out water, bottles of water, helping people. Uh, Calliope Childcare, they act, pr- presently meet in a little building, a council building, and they use this childcare for, the, for their children's church, and it needs refurbishment. So they're going to do that. And just bless these people, not only the refurbishment of the childcare center for their children's church. So I thought 50% to them, 50%, I've kind of got some figures, is 3000 each. Wouldn't it be good if we gave them 3000 each? That's $6,000. And that would take 60 people giving $100 each. That's doable, isn't it? That could be your first fruits. So we just lay these things before you. All of next month, it'll be first fruit month. The 10th of September, we're going to take up our first fruits as a Pacific day, but you're welcome to give your first fruits any time after this weekend. If you wanted to be a part of it, if you wanted to put it in an envelope, there's envelopes down the back, you can give your first fruits. That's how you could do it. Um, is this compulsory? No, you don't have to do it. A, a lot of people have, and we've continued to bless our community and our church. Um, do you want to, would you like to, um, you say, well, you know, I was thinking if 60 people gave 1,100, we'd cover everything. That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? Do you, you, you might say, well, I can't afford that. That's okay. You could give less. You could give nothing. That's fine. You could say, well, no, I've got a fair good income. I can give two of those. That'd be great, 2,200. You might say, I'll give somewhere in between. That's fine. Our heart and motivation is that you enter into something that would invest in your future. And 
this future of this church, the future of God's kingdom, other churches, God would be glorified and the kingdom expanded and his name exalted. That's our heart. So that is, actually, musos could come. Thanks, guys, because we're done. Um, so what do we need to invest in? I, I, I suppose my heart this morning is that I just want to sow some vision and focus for us as a church of where we're going to continue to go and push into and see things continue uh, to happen for God's kingdom and his namesake. So how about we stand this morning? If we, uh, Incidentally, if we were to give $60,000 um, $66, in first fruits, that would kind of be the biggest first fruits that we've ever probably given in our church. So that's